morning. All right, we're going to read uh, Exodus 3, the entire chapter. <clears throat> now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and, the, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, You have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of Egypt, uh, of the Egyptians and to bring them out from the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, I suppose, suppose I go to, to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent, has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also says to Mo, said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent, you, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel, of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you, then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know, what the king of e I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, with uh, which you will put on your shoulder on your sons and your daughters, and you will, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Thanks, Anthony. A lot of text this morning, and so I uh, thought it would be good to have another voice besides just my own today. So thanks for that, Anthony, and. Um, I will be asking for more of that in the future. I think it's just, I like it. I think it's good for the body to, to be a part of the reading of the Word of God. So just to kind of give us some context um, on the story that we're reading today, let's go back just a little bit. And I want to remind everybody that as we're looking 
uh, at the book of Exodus as we're studying through this, uh, just to remind you that we are to see ourselves in this story as Moses and of Joseph, that, that we are joining God to set people free. And today's message is going to be about how God calls those that he has prepared. And so we're going to look at this story, and that's why we did the whole chapter, um, is for me, you can't, it's hard to talk about the call of Moses and break this story apart um, into chunks. So we needed, needed the whole thing today. Um, last week, we talked about how God-given passions aren't deterred, uh, aren't deterred by time and expense, about how when God puts a passion in your heart that it doesn't go away, you can't get rid of it, and it doesn't matter what it's going to cost you, and it doesn't matter how long it's going to take, that drive is still within you. You go to bed thinking about it, you wake up thinking about it, and, it, and even if you're not pursuing it, it's still there in the back of your mind. Um, we talked about how our dependence on God reveals His goodness. It shows the world around us the truth about who God is when we are dependent on him and work in his power. And we're going to see that again in today's story. And we talked about how God remembers his covenants. That when God speaks, it's a promise and we can count on the fact that if he says it, he's going to do it. And it doesn't, um, it doesn't matter what role we play in that process. If God says, hey, I'm going to do this work, he's going to accomplish it whether you participate or not. Uh, man, the music today, Kobe, was just so good just fit really, really well with the, the theme of the message today about uh, God's goodness and about uh, his call on our lives, for, you know, our, our request for him to take over and take control of, of our lives. So to jump right in today, the first point that I want to bring out of this passage, and this comes out of verse um, one and, and actually a little bit out of the end of chapter two, but this idea that God humbles his people to prepare them for ministry. So the question that, that, immediately comes to mind is what is humility? We, it's not something we necessarily talk a lot about, but um, there's a great little book that I read in college, and if you guys haven't read before it, I highly recommend it. It's by Andrew Murray. It's a little thin book, um, and it's only about this tall, so I mean, it's not, not real long. But he defines humility in this way. He says, humility, the place of entire dependence upon God, is from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of his creatures. One of the greatest dangers that we and the church face today is pride. Pride separates us from God. Pride is what made Moses feel like he had the right and the, and the duty um, or the, the ability to be both judge and jury of the Egyptian. That was Moses looking at himself and saying, I'm in a position of power and I'm going to use that power um, to make myself feel better. If we consider the headlines that run on the news today, I don't have to list a lot of those you guys uh, are familiar with that because you can't get away from it, whether it's on social media or, or TV or, or whatever. But racism, abuse, scandalism, all of those things find their root in pride. If we look at the news, the things that are going on, it's because people have, have felt like they have more value than others. Pride, if you'll remember, is also the reason that Satan was cast from heaven. He, he looked at his own qualities, which... Side note, were given to him by God and said, wow, look how great I am. I also should be a God. And of course, we know that God cast him out of heaven as, as a result of that. But for us, as, just for you and I individually, I want you to consider that we fall into that same trap. We look at ourselves and we think, yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. Look at me. Okay? And it, we, it may be silly to think about that in a corporate setting. You may not want to say in front of everybody that, yeah, I think pretty highly of myself. But consider that if we look at 
the people around us and we compare ourselves to them and we find ourselves in better favor. That's pride. That's us saying that I'm better than someone else. If, if, we, if we sit around with a group of people and we're thinking about what do I want and what's going to be good for me and, and those types of ideas... It, it's, it's taking the focus off of the call and the ministry. And it's taking the focus off the body and it's putting on ourselves. I had a, a friend of mine one time that was going to take a, a position at a church. And we were talking about it. He brought the subject up and he said, I'm, you know, I'm taking this job. And I said, well, that's awesome. I said, uh, how did God speak to you to take that position? He's like, well, I mean, you know, I got all the qualities that are necessary for the job. And it kind of set me back a little bit. And I, I wonder how often... We make assumptions based on the things that we do in life on that same qualification. We say, well, I have the skill set necessary, right? Well, Moses had the qualifications. I mean, culturally and socially, if you look at the position that Moses held as a prince of Egypt, right? He had the, uh, the ability, the power, the position to be able to free those people, but he tried to do it in his own power, and not, he didn't involve God in that process, okay? If, if we think about this idea of qualifications and we look at ourselves and say yes I'm qualified in, in light of the story that we read today in, in Exodus chapter 3 it's a little bit absurd okay there's a call to ministry if we think about things like do I like this thing that's being asked of me do I have time for this am I qualified all of those questions come back to me they're I questions and it's me saying to myself is this something I want is this something I need is this something I'm prepared for and when God calls us ministry he's not asking us for anything other than just obedience right he's not asking us for a set of qualifications he has the things that uh, that we need right all those statements are about us okay they're not about God when we ask those questions those questions are not uh, introspective questions about who God is and who God has called me to be those are questions about who I want to be right those things are about me okay Moses is one day the prince of Egypt. And the very next day, he is in exile. He's a refugee in a foreign land. I said a while ago that by cultural and social standards, if anybody had a chance of freeing the Hebrew people, the Israelites, from the, the, the grip of Pharaoh, it's Moses, right? He has, he has defeated all the odds through the power of God, right? He was supposed to have been killed, God saves him from that. He is in a place of power and a place of privilege, right? And he has the ear of, of at least Pharaoh's daughter and possibly Pharaoh himself. But God takes him out of that position. He takes control, right, for himself. He says, I'm going to do this thing that I want to do. Now, we talked about last week how that passion that God put in his life was God-given, right? And there's passions in our lives that are God-given. But I, I wonder for myself and for you guys how often we take that passion that God's put in our life and we try to take control of it. And we try to orient our lives and our positions around us trying to accomplish that goal that God's put in our life instead of asking God to do it for us, Okay. What that does for us when we do that, when we look at our lives, and I want you guys to be thinking about this week. Look at the, God, the call that God put on your life and asking yourselves, am I trying to accomplish this within my own power, within my own ability? And, and if you're like me, a lot of times we find ourselves in that place. And what that reveals about our heart is that we lack humility. Um, for 40 years, God 
took time with Moses to take the pride, to take that sin out of his life. It took him 40 years. God had to separate him from his power and his privilege and put him in the wilderness of Midian. Okay, and one of the commentaries that I, that I read said this this week. It said the 40 years by, that spent by Moses in the wilderness were in some ways the most important years of his life. They were the means by which God trained him for doing his great work. It took 40 years for Moses to abandon the hopes and the ideas that he, in his power, could accomplish the goal that God had put in his life. God is, look, God is going to do whatever it takes. Whatever is necessary to remove the pride that is in our life, God will do that. Okay? If there's anything that we think we can bring to the table, we've made ourselves useless to God. Because we have said, God, my abilities are greater than your abilities. Right? Andrew Murray says on the next page in that same book, he said, Humility is the only soil in which virtue takes root. A lack of humility is the explanation of every defect and failure. Humility is not so much a virtue along with others, but it is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows Him, as God, to do all. The things that we say and the things that we do reveal the truth about who we are and what we believe. The actions that we take, the responses that we, we have to one another, the responses that we have to God reveal the truth about what's in our hearts. Okay? And we have to get to a place where we allow the Holy Spirit to do what's necessary to rid us of the pride and bring us into the right attitude before God that Andrew Murray is talking about. And that only happens when, when, when we put ourselves before God. And, and it only, only when this happens will God be able to use us and work through us. Pride is what destroyed our relationship with God. And humility is the very thing that's going to restore that. It's what saves us. And we know that. Look at this. Um, Paul is communicating this to the church of Philippi. Um, and this is a little bit long, so hang in there with me. But, but Paul is helping the church in Philippi to understand that it's the humility of God, it's the humility of Christ that has enabled him to, to save us. He said, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let, us, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God was highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, and the Father. God cannot use us until we have been humbled. Pride in our lives separates us from Him, and it, it hinders our ability to walk out in our call. If there's any pride that's in us, we make that thing about us, and it, and it tears down God because we're building ourselves up instead of building up God. 
Look, we live in a world of self-promotion, right? Everything, you see it on social media constantly, people building up the brand of who they are. And the last thing that the world needs is more of that, right? The, peop the, the people of the world, we, the people, constantly building ourselves, building ourselves up, building ourselves up. And what the world needs is to feel the freshness of a people that doesn't make it about them that lives sacrificially, that serves one another. This is what we see when we look at the life of Jesus. He comes into, into the world as a baby and lives his life as a servant to others and it completely flipped everybody upside down. They didn't understand how to deal with it. It was countercultural. But ultimately, even though Jesus challenged people's lives, he changed them. Not because of just a powerful word that he said, not just because he was a son of God, but because he put people in in places of more importance than himself. And if we're going to be a, a people that God is using to set other people free, we have to do it from a place of humility. We have to put other people before ourselves. Okay? Moses, after many, many years, finally has the right perspective on his position before God and people. Okay? We're going to see this a little bit more in the, later in the chapter. Okay, so that's Exodus 3, verse 1. Y'all ready for 2? I was just kidding. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> oh, we're doing good. All right, point number two. God calls us in his timing to accomplish his work. So this, this idea comes out of uh, verses 9 and 10. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, God waits until people are ready. God waits till you're ready. In this story, God waited till Moses was ready. God waited till the Israelites were ready. And God waited until Pharaoh was ready. Okay? Here's how we know that. Okay, God waits until Pharaoh, you know, the one that Moses knew, the one that he lived in his household. It tells us back in chapter 2, verse 23, it says, During those times, or during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. So the Moses... The, excuse me, the Pharaoh that Moses lived in his household passes away. You know, the one that was trying to kill Moses? God waits until he is out of power. A new Pharaoh is coming to power, and then God says, okay, now it's time, okay? God knew that the people, the Israelites, were at the end of themselves. In verse 24 of that same uh, chapter 2, it says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God hears the cries of the Israelite people and, they, and he knows that they know in their heart of hearts that they are in a place of, of being completely helpless, right? They need somebody to come and save them. And then we know that God knew that Moses was aware that he had nothing to offer because in verse 1 it says, Moses is keeping the flock with his father-in-law Jethro, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the mountain in the wilderness and came to Herod of the mountain of God. Moses went from being a prince to spending 40 years as a shepherd. And if you'll remember what we've learned in the last couple of weeks, that in, in the Egyptian culture, which is what Moses was raised in, the shepherds were like the lowest of the low. So God takes him from a place of enormous amount of wealth and privilege um, and power and puts him at the lowest place. And for 40 years, he lives there. So everything that's in Moses that, that had any claim to any power, any prestige, God removes that for him. At that point, God speaks to Moses to communicate his plan. Look, I know this is something that we, we, we talk about a lot here at this church, but if you didn't know, God still speaks today. 
He still is, is a part of our lives. As we talk about abiding, that's what we're talking about, God speaking into us, okay? Moses, unlike us, did not have the benefit of the Holy Spirit living inside of him, okay? We, we see that God reveals himself as a light. And this is interesting, this same, this same idea, the burning bush, it says that the bush appeared to be in flames of fire, is the same imagery that's used in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit descends in tongues of fire upon the people that are gathered in the upper room. And I, I had this thought today, and this is just a little side note, just a little, little lanyard for you. Occurred to me, they didn't have light bulbs during those days. Okay, right? Like, duh, obviously. Okay? But when you and I think about light, we don't think about fire, right? We think about light bulbs. We think about the sun because for us, those are our sources of light. If the Hebrew people didn't have light bulbs, what was their source of light? Fire. So when God tells us that He is the light, when for a visual for the Hebrew people, what was that? was fire. So God, all right, shows up to Moses as light in the burning bush, just like he does in Acts chapter 2, okay? God placed himself in each believer during Acts chapter 2 for the specific purpose of working through his people, right? So Jesus is walking the earth. He says, I'm going to leave, but there's another that's coming that's going to be even better than me because he's going to live inside of you. So God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, all right? That Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about is who comes and indwells in us when we come to faith in Christ. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit being in us is for us to allow Him to work through us. Okay? Again, it's not about us. God is just using us, right? And I mean that in a positive way, not in a negative connotation. It's God's desire to use us to proclaim His truth to those around us, to be a light in the darkness. If we're going to be a people, they're going to help set other three other people free we need to be a light in a very very dark world and the way we become light is by being like Christ who humbled himself okay the next thing that happens in our story so God God is here he reveals himself to Moses and God confirms the passion that he placed in Moses's heart so this this passion this idea of freeing the Hebrew people has been in Moses all of his life okay God confirms that passion and listen I talked about this a little bit last week. As we abide in Christ, right, as we spend time with him daily in that abiding cycle, what happens is, is our desires and his desires become the same thing. And so the passion that is in our life, the things that we see, the things that we, that we feel drawn to, those are God-breathed, okay? That means that the things that break God's heart will also break our heart. God will confirm for you, just like he did for Moses, that the passion, the things that break both of, your, both of your hearts is from him. It's not from you, okay? The passion that Moses has to free his people from slavery was in his heart as a young man, and he tried to do it in a way that he knew how. He tried to do it in his own ability, and we all know that he failed, okay? God is now saying, Moses, it's time for you to free the people, Right? And you're going to be the one that facilitates that, but I'm going to do the work through you. I, um, I called in and talked to, to Russ about this a little bit yesterday because I needed a little better perspective on the Hebrew here. But when God tells Moses this, Moses is confused. And he says in verse 11, um, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? So he's thinking about a couple of things. Number one, I don't know this Pharaoh, right? This is not someone that I know. Or at least I'm not acquainted with in, a, in an intimate way. And number two, like I already tried God and I failed. 
So what makes you think I could do it? Okay? But just like Moses, okay, God will accompany um, that confirmation with a plan. So when God gives us a passion, he's going to do the same thing in our lives that he does in Moses' life that we're going to see in just a minute, that God's going to give us a plan. He's going to say, hey, this is your call, and this is the first step. This is what I want you to do to move in that direction, okay? And it's at that point that we come to a crisis of belief, okay? A crisis of belief is when you say, do I really believe the things that I say I believe about God? God working through believers and God delivering people from bondage, do I really believe that? Do I believe the things that the Lord has put in me? And a, a crisis of belief is a really good place to be, okay? When you receive the call or have the realization that God has been calling you, there's going to be some anxiety there, right? Because we're going to see this thing that God's asking us to do just like Moses did. We're going to go, whoa, hold on, wait a minute, God. This thing that you're asking me to do is huge. Like, this is way bigger than I am, Right? Isn't that the way it should be? God doesn't get mad at Moses because he's unsure of himself and his abilities. Remember, God has taken the last 40 years to get Moses to a place where he realizes he can't accomplish it. And so when we feel a call from God, when we feel that passion rising up in us, and we say, God, I can't do this, he goes, yeah, I know. That's the point. Humility, Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, humility is the proper estimation of oneself. Moses finally finds himself in the right place. He finds himself in the place of saying, God, this thing that you're asking me to do, I'm not capable of doing it. That's humility. And God says, yes, you're right. Okay? But the third point I want to make today is God gives very specific instructions about where to go, who to speak to, and what to say. In verse 12, he, it, God is saying this to Moses. He said, but I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay, look. Let me read this again because this statement is a game changer and I, I hope you catch it. This is what I was talking to Russ about yesterday. He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. In response to Moses' questioning God's call, God promises Moses his presence. Now, that may not seem like a big deal for us as believers because we're accustomed to the idea of the Holy Spirit being inside us, right? Moses and the people before him didn't have that privilege and that opportunity. God was around, God was there, but God had to reveal himself as a burning bush to Moses because he didn't live inside of Moses. But in this, the verb tense here in the Hebrew is God saying, I'm going to be with you. I will be in you. I will be a part of this thing that I'm doing, okay? God himself is going to be with Moses. God is also saying, I'm going to do the work through you. You've tried before, now it's my turn. You're going to go and I'm going to do this work through you. And, and not only am I going to do it, but here's how you're going to know I'm going to do it. I'm going to set the people free and one day you're going to stand on this mountain again and we're going to worship together. You and the nation of Israel will stand on this mountain and work together. This is how you will know. This idea is significant for us because it lays the foundation for our understanding of how God goes about freeing his people, okay? He does the work through a willingly obedient servant. The idea of God, of joining God to set people free is wrapped up in, in this detail. God is the one doing the work. If we're going to be a people that sets God's people free, God has to do the work, okay? 
This is why it's so important and why we talk about the abiding cycle so much is because if we're not abiding, if Christ is not working in us daily and through us, we cannot set people free because we will be trying to do it under our own power and our own authority, okay? God is not interested in you trying to figure out how to accomplish his goals. Your plans will never be sufficient, okay? He wants to tell you his plan because it's going to work, right? Okay? He involves us because he loves us, and it proves to the world that he loves them as well. God's work in our lives shows the people around us that God not only loves the, the person that's letting the work happen, but also that God is loving enough to have someone come and represent them, to serve on, on God's behalf. So God tells Moses that he's going to be with him, and Moses says, okay, when I get there, what do I say? Verse 13, then Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and they say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? Look, I don't want to belabor this point. We say it a lot, okay? But whatever God has called us to, he is going to provide for. I used to, um, back in the days of, you know, like door-to-door ministry, you go knock on somebody's door and be like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? That has bad negative connotations for me, right? Okay, but the thing that always made me the most nervous about that, and that's kind of morphed into some other things in my life, but what made me nervous about that is what do I say when people ask questions? Like, I don't have all the right answers, right? And as I've gone, grown and matured in my faith, like that anxiety still kind of wells up in me from time to time when I'm in a, in a, a good conversation with somebody and things are, are really moving in the right direction and then I realize, wait a minute, they're about to ask a question I'm not going to have a good answer for, right? I'm sure you've been in that, that place before. Well, the confidence that we can have is that if God is orchestrating those conversations, he's going to provide the answers and we don't have to. We just have to pay attention to what the Spirit's doing, okay? So God is going to tell Moses, he tells Moses, I'm going to tell you exactly what to say to Israel, okay? Don't worry about knowing exactly what you're going to say. Is it good to prepare? Absolutely. But we need to understand that God is going to give us the right words at the right time, okay? Years of working with people have taught me that saying, don't worry about it, doesn't work, right? Any of you guys, have you ever told anybody like, just don't worry about it, it's going to be fine. Does that stop them from worrying? No. The answer is no if you don't know. What's it make them do? It makes them worry more, right? But let's think about what worrying does, okay? Consider this. Our worrying is us trying to figure out either how God's going to do something or how we're going to do something. But either way, that worry is us trying to take control back from God. It's saying, I have to figure this out because if I don't, it's not going to work. God doesn't want us to worry. He wants us to trust. He wants us to have faith. Last point. God's call will always be bigger than anything that we can accomplish this, this idea of bigness is what causes us to worry, right? God has set plans, and if he does, they're going to be God-sized, not people-sized, right? If God's the one who's, who's orchestrating it, they're going to be massive. It's obvious in our story that the task that sets before Moses is huge. God's saying, I want you to go to this king, and I want you to tell him those millions of slaves that he has, that he didn't do anything, any work for, He has this massive asset. I want you to just go and tell him, God told me to take this from you. And then the Pharaoh's going to be okay with it. And not only is he going to be okay with it, but they're also going to give you all their wealth whenever you leave. Really? I mean, that's not, 
That's not a human plan, right? Like, that's not something. We're not going to say, hey, God, we're going to go set these people free. Oh, also, and we're going to tell everybody to give us all their stuff when they go. This is a God thing, okay? Go to this powerful king. Tell him to let millions of slaves go free and walk out with their riches. No big deal, okay? Russ was talking to us uh, at class last Monday, which, by the way, if you haven't been able to attend, those are on the podcast, and they're really good. You should go listen, Okay? One of the defining statements in the Bible is God saying to Israel, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. This is a defining statement because it gives God the right to have authority of us over us because he's saying, you were slaves. I freed you from that. I am a God that loves you. I am your God. I'm loving you and I'm setting you free. Okay? As we've studied this book, we've asked you guys to see yourself as Moses and as Joshua. What I hope is happening for you is that you're realizing that this isn't just Moses and Israelite's story. This is our story. This is the story of what God is doing in his people. Something I want you guys to talk about this week in Life Group is what is your story? What is your role in this? How has or is God using you to set people free? The story of a loving God remembering his promise and acting on behalf for us. Look, until Christ returns, we're still in the story. The story is not ended. We're still in the middle of it. And God has a work for us to do. There's still sin and suffering in the world. And as God's people, we have within us the Holy Spirit who is living and moving. And he has the desire and the ability to free people from bondage. My hope is that, that this week and from here on out, as we look at the book of Exodus, you're going to be asking God, what is my role in this story? What is the call that you've put on my life? Because all around us, there is sin and there is suffering and there is bondage and there are people who are, are dying to get out of that bondage. Whether that's a physical death or, or, a, or through dealing with depression and other things. Here's what I believe God wants to do through the church. Okay, through our church and through the church globally. Some things that I think God wants to do. God wants to set people free from living under the death sentence of the sin and the law. Okay, the law is good. It shows us the sin in our, in our lives, but ultimately it leads to death. God wants us to help the people of central Louisiana, the people that, that we reach out to, the people that we live and we work with to understand that, that God's grace exists. And, and we want people to, to be able to live under grace and not under the law only, okay? God wants to set people free from dead religion. A lot of us have experienced that. We grew up um, in, in religion that just didn't have any life in it. We were just going through the motions, and we are unique and that we've been set free from that, and we should want to share that freedom with other people. God wants to, to bring about racial reconciliation. The state of the tension between the different races in our nation is not okay with God. And God wants to deal with that, but it's going to require that we as the church allow God to deal with us and the pride that's in us and bring us to a place of humility so that we can deal with that. God wants to end slavery. It's not a good thing, but it's going to require us as the church being obedient to God's call. God wants to end abuse. We saw that all over the news the last couple of weeks. The way that happens is by us being the church. It's by us being obedient to the call that God has put in our life. God is going to accomplish that through his church. 
God is going to do that through you, and he's going to do that through me. As we abide in Christ, as we ask God, what is the passion that you've put in my life? What is the call that you have for me? God's going to speak that to you. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that Maddie Watley or Michelle Palmer or anybody is going to be the one that, boom, ends slavery worldwide. That'd be amazing, right? That'd be a cool thing. But God certainly is going to use us each individually. We have a voice in the people that God has put in our lives, right? We have the ability to say to those that are around us, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is not how God viewed those people, and that's not how God wants us to view those people either. We need to help people put on the lenses that God has put on us and see people for who they really are. People that are made in the image of God, who are worthy of our love, who are worthy of us giving up ourselves for them. That's what the world needs. And that is the call that God has for us. And look, I know, I'm right here with you, like that seems insurmountable. Like when I think, I've told you guys before, like when I think of myself being in this pulpit, this is a big deal for me and I feel overwhelmed by it. But the confidence that I have is that, just like I've talked about today, it's not about me. It's not about what skills I bring to the table. It's about what God wants to do through me and am I willing to say whatever he calls me to say from this place. But the same is true for you. Wherever you work, wherever you live, are you willing to do and say the things that God has called you to do, no matter what the cost is? Because ultimately, our responsibility to God and to the people around us is to be people that speak the truth. People that are willing to stand up for the truth. We can't set people free and hide behind anything. We have to be willing to stand up and say, this this thing is not okay. Don't be intimidated by your call. Rest in faith and knowing that God is going to do it through you. If it's in your power, it's going to fail. If it's you trying to take your qualifications, your abilities, your talents, and accomplish something for God, it's not going to work. It will only work if we allow God to do it through us. At the end of the passage today, God puts kind of the icing on the cake. And I I mentioned this a while ago. He says in verse 21 and 22, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so shall you plunder the Egyptians. God's not only going to set people free, but those people that are, that are they're being freed from are willingly going to give away their possessions to Israel. That's what he's telling Moses. Like, you're not just going to get free from the Egyptians, but when you go, you're going to take all their stuff with you. It's so absurd that anybody could get credit for this except for God, right? Like, that's not a thing that, that you can't talk somebody into giving. Well, there are a few people out there who can talk people into giving them anything, but not a whole nation, right? You might convince one person, but you're not going to convince everybody. If we'll be obedient to the, God, to the call that God has on our lives, the beauty of it is that when people look at what's going on in your life and the life of the church, they're going to go, man, that's got to be God. Got to be. And isn't that what we want ultimately, right? We want people to be blown away. Like we've been blown away by the person that God is and how much he loves us. And we want the people around us to see that as well. If we are each individually obedient, God is going to set people free. And we get to be a part of that. And I don't know about you, but that is exciting. Consider for yourself how it felt when you got freed up from dead religion. 
when you experienced grace for the first time and the weight, the burden that was lifted off of you. And there are people that are walking around us all day, every day, carrying that weight and carrying that burden. And we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who has the ability to set them free from that. He's going to wait until that person's ready and he's going to wait until you're ready. But we need to be asking God, right? We need to be pursuing him and saying, okay, God, I'm willing. I may not be ready, but I'm willing. Do whatever's necessary in my life to get me to the place to be ready. God's call is always going to be bigger than we are. And that's good. That is a good, good thing because at the end of the day, when, when people are set free, we want them to know that they are set free by God, not by the gathering place, not by you. We want them to fall deeply, deeply in love with God, the God that we know, the God that we've had the opportunity to experience intimacy with. We can't set people free if the light's not shining through us, right? And the only way that happens is, is one, starting a relationship with God. If you don't have one, please come talk to me. But daily spending time with Him. Because when that happens, that light's going to be shining out of us and people are going to see it and it's going to make a difference in their lives. Whether you know it or not, God's going to be working. We can't, well, I, here's what I don't want. I don't want us to spend however long, six months, eight months, a year, going through this study of Exodus and get to the other side of it and none of us have changed. It's not just enough to know this information. It's not just enough to study the book of Exodus and find out some really cool trivia things. The ultimately, the goal for, for this study, the goal for me and the goal for you is that it would change who we are. That the will that stands before you today will be a different guy than the will that's going to stand before you when we finish this study. Right? And I want the same thing for you guys. I want you to be able to look back a year from now and go, wow, I was a different person then. Look what God's done in my life and look what God's done in, in the lives of the people around me because I was just willing to be obedient. Let's pray. God, I just want to ask that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, getting, getting us to a place where we are ready for ministry. Getting us in the right perspective before you where we understand the call that you have for us and we understand our role in that, that we understand that we don't have anything to bring to the table. God, I want you to, to reveal your plans for us. Give us the specifics as we are prepared. Give us the specifics for the things that you have individually called us to as a church. God, help us to set people free. To, to be able to look around us and, and with your eyes to be able to see the people that are in bondage and not looking at them with judgment, but look upon them like you do with mercy and with grace and with love. And that, that as we see the bondage that people are dealing in, Father, that you would break our hearts for that. That you would would do a work in us to bring us to the place where we're willing to lay down our pride, to walk in humility with you and be obedient to the call that you've placed in our lives. That, that our lives would not be about us and what we like and what we want, but it would be about being obedient to you and experiencing your love and sharing that love with those you've placed in our lives. God, do something bigger than us in our lives.